0: Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at TNTradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Patrick Henningsen and TNT.
1: All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for joining us, and a big hello to everybody in the TNT chat room we see you guys in there. Looks like a very healthy crowd. I've uh, been pleased to see the numbers in there have been steadily increasing over the last couple of weeks and uh, we thank you, our listeners, uh, for your support there. Uh, that's a great place to hang out, by the way, if you're thinking about where you need to be, if you're dialing in on the URL, tntradio.live or you're coming in through the app, you can still access the TNT chat community just by going into the page uh, on the main page of TNT and you'll see at the bottom right-hand corner is a little red bubble there that's the chat room you can log in it'll keep you logged in as well so you can just dive in there at any time either on your phone or on your laptop as well that's where you want to be during the program great facility there for our listeners everything at tnt is really designed for the listeners and the viewers even the archives you can go back after the show go to our show for instance and you go to the listen back section all you know, the podcasts will be there categorized by segment by the hour you can go back so you're not going to miss anything and that's the great part about it even if you're watching or listening live you can always listen and watch at your leisure later after the program Thank you, TNT. Today's news talk. Now, we're going to be joined in a few minutes from our research assistant for the show, Christian, to look at what's breaking in the United Kingdom. And we don't have any more uh, breaking news really on this uh, potential ceasefire. Um, It's been delayed till Friday, as we said in the previous hour. That's according to Qatari sources. It has been agreed in principle by Hamas. They released a press Uh, statement uh, just yesterday on their Telegram channel, which we reposted uh, on X Twitter and also on our Telegram channel. Um, And it's pretty clear what the terms are. Um, There's aid and there's other things attached to it. Obviously, that's sorely needed. But uh, it, it seems like it was delayed. And again, we're raising the specter that it might be delayed again. So while it should start tomorrow, this is phase one, Uh, We'll have uh, 13 hostages, I believe, released by Hamas. And then uh, Israel will reciprocate with a slightly larger number there. And that's supposed to be one for one uh, over a three day period. Uh, So a four day truce with a window during the day where Israel promises it's going to stop bombing. Meanwhile, the U.S. are still flying drones over. And it's interesting on the U.S. side, they claimed uh, that they were providing Israel. Israel with intelligence, uh, and that was supposed to be used for one thing, but it ended up being used for something else. Um, The U.S. was providing uh, what they called uh, data and intelligence with their drones, their satellites. They claimed to have been tracking the location of hostages to let the Israelis know where they were. Um, But in the end, that data that was passed to the United States was used for targeting, was used for airstrikes. So Israel took the information, it took the data from the United States. The United States claimed it was giving Israel to help find their hostages. Instead, Israel used it as targeting information to destroy homes and to kill people. So, if effectively, the United States became a party to a war crime, another war crime. I mean, it's just a litany of war crimes at this point, and it's becoming like the norm. And this is what we we this is what we warned about weeks ago, we said, we're, we're passing over a very dangerous threshold here, whereby there's no limits, whereby, you know, all of this sort of previous ethical, moral lines before things were somewhat restrained with international law, with the Geneva Conventions, which uh, is general, um, let's say, normal behavior within the international system. Um, but everything we're seeing now and what we've witnessed is far from normal, but they're trying to normalize it. And they're trying to do it on the aegis that uh, Israel has a right to do whatever it's doing. It can act with impunity because they're fighting a war against terrorism. And they quote the horrific atrocities that Hamas committed on October 7th. I mean, I'm not, 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 uh, not to uh, underplay, I don't know what the, the word I could use, the appropriate word. Not to belittle, not to underplay any victims or especially civilian unarmed victims of the Palestinian resistance fighters who uh, broke out of the prison on October 7th and uh, attacked uh, Israeli military outposts in the occupied territories and also the kibbutz settlements, which were constructed again on occupied Land, they shouldn't have been there to begin with. But if there's any innocent civilians, unarmed civilians that weren't either conscripts, uh, weren't reservists who are armed, uh, if there anybody that was killed, um, this is a great tragedy, and of course this is abhorrent and uh, shouldn't be uh, sanctioned or, uh, you know, seen to be a positive development by anybody. I think that goes without saying. But to be fair. Uh, whatever did happen on October 7th. And I'm going to caveat this is the witness testimonies, including uh, investigations on the Israeli side, reveal that the Israeli military killed uh, the uh, sizable amount, hundreds, in fact, of their own people, because the military panicked. They deployed an Apache helicopter and mowed down a bunch of their own citizens. Maybe the majority, of the deaths on October 7th were at the hands of the IDF and not Hamas. Okay. It's important to put that caveat in there, but all of that said that all that needs to be cataloged, audited, investigated properly, and then we can have a narrative. But what happened is they went with this narrative from the beginning. Much of it's been debunked, 40 beheaded babies and all the rest of it. Okay. I have to re-explain all this because people forget uh, these days. But all of that said, okay, um, what's transpired after that at the hands of the Israeli Defense Forces is on another level. This is, this is industrial-scale uh, mechanized killing on a level that we've never witnessed uh, in such a short space of time and done deliberately, in fact. And any claims by the Israelis that they're taking great care to avoid civilian casualties is a joke at this point. I mean, who are you fooling? They're, they're only fooling themselves to think that people are that stupid that they'd swallow a propaganda line like that. but yet we'll still see news broadcasters, people repeating these tropes, these talking points and I'm going to say these are fundamentally very gravely dishonest people, immoral uh and extremely uh ethically intellectually corrupt if they can make that statement with a straight face. okay there's, there's no restraint. And this is so far out of the bounds of norms. This is this is into the sort of attempted genocide category. And and, you know, they may be people may be tried for war crimes, and that will also include people in the media uh, who helped to advance it, who had significant reach and helped to advance and defended war crimes and glorified them. Okay. So they might also be snared in that net, because there's no statute of limitations for this, at least in the current international system. So um, maybe people will come to their senses at some point, realize this. There's already cases being filed now as we speak. That's why I say, uh, especially these mainstream media outlets that have been pushing and providing political cover for what's clearly the use of the military indiscriminately against unarmed defenseless civilians and by the thousands, in fact, I mean, just imagine that. So all the shock horror of what may or may not have happened with, uh, uh a, f- a few dozen or maybe a few hundred Hamas militants on mopeds and paragliders. Uh, it really pales into comparison, uh, with the awesome force of a modern military and air force, uh, being used to pummel civilian populations. And now we learned that the the object of this is to drive the people uh, out of the country and into the South, creating a whole new wave of refugees, a whole new Nakba, as they call it, the Palestinians call it. Um, That's the end result of this. That was actually documented. This is Israeli policy. So if you're arming them, if you're providing political cover, um, if you're glorifying this, Um, yeah, that does fall into the category of war crimes and could be adjudicated accordingly. So one would not want to be on the wrong side of that story, but so many are, which is interesting. We're seeing some people start to walk back um, into the center on this, and some have even crossed the line back into the camp of sanity and common sense and are in the process of atoning for their bad behavior, as it were, in backing this but unfortunately there are people who have stayed in there with the political elites and the mainstream media i find it almost hilarious if not uh, farcical that there are some people who identify themselves in the so-called freedom movement um who are all about you know we can't trust the mainstream media and government and can't trust them so i agree with them i agree with them wholeheartedly and to a large degree but what you've seen is these same people during lockdown and COVID, it became like kind of freedom icons. Um, they've literally reflexively defaulted to the government talking points and the mainstream media talking points on the whole Israeli debacle. So I guess, yeah, Well, well I guess the whole corrupt media machine telling the truth all of a sudden. Really? And government's all of a sudden telling the truth. Really? You believe that? That's uh, so funny. The, the The relativity that comes into play with people as they struggle with these issues. But, you know, we've been around this block, running around this marathon track for many years, and we've seen all of this before, by the way. We've seen it all before. It's just it's just a lot worse in this episode. This is a particularly egregious episode. We've seen it all before. And so I'm not surprised. And, you know, we act and uh, approach the issues accordingly based on previous experience. And there are people that are recently red-pilled, haven't done any activism in their life, all of a sudden have a following on social media and they decide, oh, I'm going to pick a side on this. I'm going to, I'm going to side with the U S government in Israel. And they've been quite shocked to see the backlash and the loss of followers. And they're not getting any traction. Um, but cause a lot of their, their hot takes are just completely laced with, you know, absolute derision and hate for, uh, for Muslims, for Palestinians. There's Christian Palestinians, by the way, and when to get into that, that tends to shock people that are somewhat ignorant about geography, ethnography, and the history of the Holy Land. This is where Christianity was actually born. It was there, and those original Christians are still there, and there's people cheerleading in the West for them to be bombed and killed, uh, and their churches to be flattened. I mean, it is really something else. Another historic church was destroyed yesterday, targeted by the Israeli military. Uh, there's quite a few that have been destroyed. These are really important historical churches, some of the oldest in the world. Why is Israel targeting churches? Think about it. The only other group that char- targeted churches was ISIS. We'll leave it there. Let's take a break here, and we're going to connect our research assistant for the show, Christian James. After these messages with TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back.
0: You should hear what Chris Smith is talking about.
2: Lomborg has long maintained that wealth and an abundance of energy sources are the key elements required to help the world solve threats to our existence, which is why he opposes the obscene amounts of money the United States, the UK, Europe and Australia are spending on climate change, which can only reduce that wealth and make us all weaker. Yes, climate has
0: costs but so do climate policies we rarely talk about the fact that as we are making more and more climate policies that also impacts us negatively that actually pulls away resources from us just to take a look at energy prices here in the UK energy prices have been coming down for the last two centuries but now they're starting to go up because of climate policy but why doesn't the
2: mainstream media's political class ask those correct questions when politics Make humongous spending announcements on, for instance, renewable power. Where are the right questions? Like, what's the cost-benefit analysis of this project, Minister? They never ask the question. And you know why they don't ask the question? Because the left-leaning mainstream media, they're climate change evangelists as well. They don't want to find holes in such grand renewable plans because that's not part of the environmental narrative.
0: Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I
3: do a lot of free streaming.
0: TNTradio.live.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to the second hour of this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, thank you to everybody in the TNT chat room as well. Uh, we've got a good crowd building in there into the second hour. Appreciate you guys. And uh, also, uh, I want to thank you. I think Basil Valentine uh, for the previous segment. He's been absolutely brilliant uh, on the issue. Of the Middle East continues to be so. We value his reporting and his commentary on this. Great takes from Basil. Uh, Now, I want to welcome onto the line our research assistant for the show, uh, who hails from the United Kingdom, from the Midlands, in fact, in the UK, Christian James, joining us on the line right now. Christian's been following a disturbing piece of legislation that's being rammed through uh, as as most disturbing pieces of legislation are rammed through. Uh, Currently, it's sitting in the House of Lords, and it has to do with the Investigatory Powers Act uh, in Britain, and this is a slippery slope indeed. Uh, Christian, welcome to the program.
3: Uh, Thank you very much, Patrick. It's a pleasure, as always, on a Thursday afternoon to join you. Uh, Yeah, my good friend, it's uh... Uh, the last three or four days or so I've, I found myself doing something I don't do very often and that's watching the UK Parliament channel because right. there was there's two um particular bills that were being read aloud um to the public office and that they were aired live their viewership wasn't very large for the people watching but the ramifications of what they are was uh it's quite disturbing actually uh, the one of course is the one you mentioned It's the investigatory powers bill so this was the Lord's main debate it happened on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, they were rolling out towards like a um, five o'clock afternoon. So this was, uh, most people have gone home, most ministers have gone home. The uh, the chambers were relatively empty. You'll see online, if you were to look at the YouTube channel on, on UK Parliament, uh, it's, it wasn't even a quarter of a fuller house, but uh, their talking points were one um, of quite disturbing facts. So the government is actually calling, in the UK anyway at least, For a greater level a quote of greater level of supervisory responsibilities over the actions and abilities of people online Mm -hmm. so you can imagine what that would secretly entail um using what they're saying is the ever present threat of global instability and the role of detecting and defeating terrorism so what they're trying to do is to call upon the the uh, nca over here which is the national crime agency and the intelligence services. So what they presently don't have in the UK is they don't, on the surface, legally, have access to everyone's data. They don't have access to data sets as such. Then what they have to do, they have to use um, the criminal database. So it's only people technically who have already been flagged up as a as a risk who are on that criminal database. And they're the only people they're allowed to check. And what they are asking to move the goalposts on is to enable complete, uh surveillance now this is something i found to be interesting because i thought they already had that ability i'm pretty sure gchq and it's like already d- doing this but i guess this would enable them the legal framework uh, to do this on a more prevalent basis and um, so they say they want to go beyond using the criminal database they want to be able to have their quite again unequivocal access um laid out uh, beyond their current framework to basically take in all uh online records monitor communications in a live position and uh, these changes are being asked for and again there was uh, lots of debates across even same party cross party about what this could potentially could entail uh, the risks to freedom and so on um i don't know suppose if you've been keeping a tab on this yourself Patrick?
1: no just generally i i remember when this piece of legislation was uh introduced and you know just the creation of the national crime agency this is a new sort of fbi if you will uh for the uk but They're going deeper and deeper, wanting sort of real-time access to everything about everybody all the time. And, you know, when it is a little bit disturbing when you consider journalists or people like Craig Murray are being pulled up under the uh, Section Terrorism Act and treated under suspicion of terrorism when he's a blogger. Obviously, he supports Julian Assange. uh, He supports the Palestinians. So he seems to be on the wrong side of uh, some issues that the U.S. The UK government are, are on, uh, in terms of their policies. Um, why? It's just because he's influential. So being influential, uh, pundit, a blogger, former British ambassador, served in the foreign office, actually. Um, but if you're influential and your views go against the government, does that make you a terrorist? Well, that's the implication there. So when you talk about this piece of legislation, Christian, that's the big concern is that they'll just uh, widen the net, as it were. Uh, this catch-all term of terrorism can be elastic; it can stretch and include just so, just yeah. about anything, uh, including with the 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 prevention that was a uh the channel project became the prevent strategy designed to flag up extremists you know so this was to to tail children in school to make sure that they're not being you know they're not developing extremist ideas or whatever they might potentially be a terrorist somewhere down the road kind of like pre-crime and uh that yeah, that became so. the prevent and the prevents now applied for you know online hate extremist language or whatever so that, that's the problem, Christian, is it, where do you stop on these definitions? The, if you give these sort of powers to the state, they're just going to stretch them to include more things.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. The, when I like that you use the word elastic there, this um, vague term to effectively be a catch-all um, to happen. So what they were saying in, the, in this meeting back and forth was that since 2016, which is when this bill um, first came into uh, its prominence, and obviously it caused... A lot of uproar, there was a lot of um, back and forth from certainly freedom of the press, um, freedom of journalism, of course, uh, were uh, major issues in regards to this. Technological threats, they're saying, um, require new abilities and further access. Um, so what there is presently, and I was quite interested to learn about this, there's what's called the double lock in place, which is in order to search a person's um, history online, in order to search um, a person's uh, account online, or even just to do a check via the ISP, etc. you have to actually get uh, double permission and this is done by the judiciary so you've got to have a judge's permission to do that and you've got to have a secretary of state this can actually be any mp presently and uh, they must give permission under the um powers act but uh, one of the amendments that they actually want to do and that was spoken out by lord anderson in this particular thing i, I made a note of this is they actually want a the judiciary actually to be to kind of be watered down a bit so they don't want just a judge to do this they want deputies and uh, a number of um essentially people in the legal work to be able to say yes it's okay to go do a check on this uh, but not necessarily a judge the uh it actually went a bit further They were talking about bulk um personal data so basically massive data sets that um and then we're talking about how pub there's public data sets that Everyone has access to the private, the public sector, um, uh, academia, and so on. That's com- currently available. What they're saying is it's not versatile enough. It's not agile enough. And what they want to do, uh, this they want the Investigative Powers Bill. They want to be able to be able to take in uh, private databases as well as academic databases in order to do um, AI-based uh, searches against people who have potential terrorist links and terrorist threats in order to offset them and oversee them. Uh, well ahead of time and um, they also said that if you were to buy a data set at present you can only have it to investigate for six months so if you had taken some people or you have to use a public data set and you can only have it for six months what they want now is to push that to 12 months for all, all investigations so everyone they have um they, they want to do a check on they want to be able to to do so for 12 months so this would mean that there's data scanning investigations of people would now take much longer and and um, presently this, the safeguarding lock, as it's called, they want it to be loosened um, so more terrorist investigations can be done. Um, so they want to uh, expand the warrants to be issued by independent uh, commission officers, again, deputies, as I said, um, another class of oversights who are supposed to, to give permission to do this. And I think that opens up the floodgates for anyone can go now. If you are in the system, if you are part of that mechanism, you potentially could give permission anytime have anyone investigated for any reason, potentially up to a year at a time, and I think that opens a lot of uh, worries for um, concerned citizens and particularly when it comes to freedom of speech and freedom of journalism and so on, and the right to privacy online.
1: So they're using AI to generate these so-called blacklists or sus- list of suspicious individuals or whatever, um, that, that, that in itself is, is, is hugely disturbing. Just just that one detail, uh, Christian. Um, but then they probably going to be creating other lists as well. And then they'll say, well, we can open this file. We can, you know, put them under scrutiny for, you know, 12 months or whatever. This kind of sounds like the Stasi actually in East Germany. So, I mean, yeah. so just like as a Stalin said, uh, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. So they, 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 are going after people in search of crimes, rather than if there's a crime committed and obviously you have suspects and probable cause and suspicion and all this stuff that's the old uh, judicial system that's the old system of uh, justice that's the old rule of law this is something else this is a high-tech technocracy and one could only imagine christian if the uh the stasi in east germany had this sort of ai technology the sort of mechanisms and uh, capabilities, uh, what would they have gotten up to uh, back then? You know, they had these recording devices set up in uh, rooms next to somebody they were surveilling and had someone, uh, translators listening to the recordings 24-7. I mean, it's a lot of work uh, just to catch somebody saying something that was like sympathetic towards, uh, you know, whatever I guess sympathetic towards the West if it was the Stasi, but the US were doing the same thing during the Red Scare. You see if anybody made a pro-communist comment or sentiment and that would sort of put them in the FBI's blacklist there. So in a a way, Christian, this is very much McCarthy Red Scare territory combined with the Stasi, combined with the uh, high-tech AI technocracy, and it seems to me like a lethal cocktail, Christian.
3: For sure, for sure. What happened was a uh, Lord Coker actually challenged these news abili- new abilities, and uh, what he said was a uh, uh, there's something currently called target discovery, which basically, like you said there, and outlined very well. It's it's the blacklist, effectively. There is they're calling it target discovery. So now there's a lesser requirement to determine suspicion, a uh, quote uh, from following the activities of an individual online uh, before bringing in for questioning. Uh, they mentioned about how Apple has actually said the UK government. Um, some questions, and they read them questions out, which I find very fascinating. Because currently, Apple um, has a closed circuit messaging system, again, similar to WhatsApp. It's peer-to-peer, end-to-end encryption. Mm -hmm. And basically, the the UK government want backdoor access to that. And uh, they are sympathetic, they said, to the UK's point for when it comes to um, terrorism and um, understanding how communications happen. But they must be able to balance uh, freedom of expression with privacy and uh, abilities to do so and they have to mostly told the government they're not having access to uh, apple's messaging system and um, so that would effectively put the message out there that is that is still currently a an ability the technology that's available where people can communicate that is still technically private and from my understanding the uk government actually currently uses the apple's messaging service themselves to message each other privately um because I know from local government, apparently everyone's issued an iPhone, so I'm assuming that's actually part of that messaging system that they prefer to use.
1: Yeah, um, well, they probably want to be reading the government employees, so I'm sure they have some way of—I don't know—reading yeah. it, whatever. That's that is an interesting point. That is an interesting point. A- Apple has definitely tried to, you know, position himself as a pro uh, privacy company, um, and they have rebuffed uh, overtures by various governments, mainly in the Five Eyes countries, of course. For backdoor access to uh, everything, and because they know it's a business killer, it's it's a it's going to kill their customer base uh, if they let that happen. So makes sense that they would be pushing back against that. But it's, it's it just seems to me, Christian, like the the some of the more authoritarian leaning governments, the UK being one of those. I know people don't regard them. Certainly, if you work in government, they think, oh, we just wanted to stop terrorism. Well, that's what they all say. That's what they all say when it starts so what, what's going to happen is if someone comes out with a totally encrypted private phone is that going to be seen as a threat to the state is that going to be deemed to be illegal uh to sell or to possess even is this is this where we're headed
3: they spoke about also about there's a lifespan of uh investigatory power bills that have existed in the past that have a lifespan of about 15 years so they says that even by the end of the decade the, the investigatory powers bill must. Um, reflect an entirely new level of technology, basically based on emerging communications uh, technologies, such as AI and various technologies. So even the bill as it stands now must either adapt or be replaced by a successor. And uh, what that looks like already now needs to be on the table and being discussed. So already now they are going, what do we need to do to you know manage Iranian AI and all the different levels of uh, communication that that comes, but comes with? I mean, we can imagine there's like anyone now could be, if you watch RT, for instance, or you listen to TNT radio, or you, listen to, or you go visit 21st Century Wire, for instance, that will now put you potentially on uh, this target surveillance blacklist, this target discovery, uh, just because you are t- seeking out um, alternative forms of information that, you know, or different angles that no one's uh, spoke about or choosing to speak about. Because unless you tow the line, um, you know, who knows that surveillance, you're going to end up on a list. I think we shall be on a list by now.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. Well, it's a little bit disturbing, uh, to say the least. I hope you keep an eye on on this discussion, Christian. Please report back to us any updates uh, on this particular story, which is in- disturbing to say the least. Um, but these are the sort of things we got to keep track of, we've got to keep an eye and keep people informed about. Obviously, if you're in the UK and you uh, you have uh, strong opinions on this, you have strong views. You know, you feel compelled to reach out to your uh, local MP or your local representative to let them know, you know, either by email or by letter, Um, or maybe, I don't know, do they do the surgeries anymore? Uh, Do they do the sort of local surgeries? Maybe they don't do those anymore. They don't want to be that close to their constituencies. But, you know, by all means, you should raise the issue uh, and uh, find out who's in the House of Lords, who's debating this, who's uh, chairing this and so forth, who is in a position uh, to make an opinion on this that's influential, and you want to reach out to them and let them know that you still exist that you're out there and you've got feelings and opinions on this that you do value your rights and your privacy Um, it only takes a few citizens a few active and committed citizens to sometimes turn the tide and make a sea change on issues like this this has always been the case throughout history so if you're sitting at home saying oh you know you like lamenting about the fascist police state but you don't want to sort of put your oar in the water and do something i think you you're well within your rights to do that and if you don't make those opinions uh known if you don't vocalize your concerns uh your leaders are going to take that as uh implicit consent to whatever they're doing it's as simple as that folks it's always been that way but uh, we live in a strange modern world christian where sometimes i don't know a lot of people just detach from the system and they think oh it's like a spectator sport um it's not it's an interactive sport you got to get involved it's a big team we're all on it folks despite what george carlin said uh that's a club we're all uh a member of and we need to use those rights otherwise we'll lose those rights It's as simple as that where else can you take yep. us christian we've got a break coming up in a, a couple minutes but um go okay ahead.
3: I, I guess i mean really what comes back from that i mean the next point is I mean, you talk about those those surgeries that mps hold i mean certainly nottingham now and i, I mentioned it last week the, the um a lot of those surgeries, those offices of MPs have actually found themselves under a lot of pressure of late. I've certainly seen online uh many of them have been vandalized, many of them have been damaged. Um they're the MPs are now putting up steel um protection, you know, at their at their offices because they don't want the hassle over what's happening with Israel and, and also what's happening with Hamas and the uh, the Gazan situation in Palestine. Um for whatever position they take, you know, they are they are making someone very angry. And those people who are out in our communities are making it difficult for those MPs now to engage with those uh, constituencies over, over different matters other than that. And um, so I think the whole way we interact with our MPs is going to have to change. And uh, so that will probably factor into the security arrangements of them themselves.
1: Yeah. The, the, you remember the Joe Cox uh, incident? Um, I think yes. Yes. Leeds, a Le, uh, Labour MP, uh, I think it was a Labour MP from Leeds. Uh, so that, that with the, the homemade gun I mean the whole thing the the whole story to me was really extremely dodgy by the way and even even made more dodgy by the fact that the Southern Poverty Law Center in America which is one of the pre premier race hustling organizations in the United States provided this so-called evidence uh implicating uh, Thomas Mayer, I believe his name of assembling a homemade gun which uh, supposedly was used to uh murder the MP Joe uh Joe jo Cox i believe her name was and so be, but but the result of that was she was coming out of her surgery and Americans might find that to be a weird title for a member of parliament to have a local meeting with their constituents, like an open house, if you will, they call it a surgery. I don't want to get into the roots of that. It's it's interesting and strange at the same time. But anyway, let's just call them local meetings with your MP um, began to be questioned at the time in terms of the safety risks of the elected representatives. And this. so it's, it's interesting, those types of seminal events that do kind of shift and change Attitudes towards things that were, you know, accepted as normal before, like people should have some access to their uh, elected representatives, but we see increasingly christian this detachment from government and the people from uh the elected representatives and those who elected them we see this big gulf forming where they're almost untouchable like you will have no access to these people and soon some point in the future you're probably not going to be able to vote for them anymore they'll be voted in by ai or some sort of ai polling mechanism or something crazy like this i'm sure that can't be gamed right but I'm being a little extreme going forward in the future here, Christian, but you can see the trend, which is definitely a lot more talk about security, more talk about risk and creating this kind of elite bureaucrat class that you have absolutely no access to at all. What are your thoughts on that?
3: No, absolutely. You, you basically are putting them behind um, behind shutters, behind barriers where they effectively only exist as a mouthpiece, perhaps online, on your television, on your radio, um, and they have no immediate access to their... People who have to vote for them, and kind of reminds me a bit of the mayor situation in the U.S., where you you only ever see them publicly when it comes to election time. But before that, you know you don't even know who they are, who the representatives are. Um, I, I kind of think it, it it reflects that a bit, where there is no access to these people, you don't even know who it is you need to talk to in order to raise issues up uh, up the chain and going upstream, as it were, in the terms of the business talk. Um, but no, I, I think you it creates that barrier of separation where. People are expecting that someone else is taking care of them. We need to take responsibility ourselves and go, hey, I need to come and talk to you. We are going to have a conversation. But of course, that leads to potentially the awkwardness because some people have a very difficult way of communicating. And so that would also put another barrier up in its way
1: yeah yeah I, I i don't think it's a positive development myself uh i think it's really important um that's one of the that was uh previously not now but that was one of the great features of, of british uh democracy is that people did have access uh in a way to their local reps that they didn't have in other countries uh certainly in the united states there's a huge barrier between those in washington and those who are in the states that elected them the congress and senate i'm talking about so uh, that was a great thing about britain and sad and unfortunate and quite dangerous the fact that this is being eroded in fact i'm here with christian james our research assistant for the show talking about the uh investigatory powers act in britain what it entails and is a huge threat to civil liberties and basic rights and it gives the state incredible sweeping powers and access to just about everything in your life in real time and giving them a warrant to investigate you or spy on you or whatever for like 12 months at a time. Why on suspicion of being extremist, terrorist, whatever the term you wanna use, they all it's all being lumped into one sort of soup there, uh, unfortunately, but we, let's take a break here quickly with TNT, today's news talk. And when we come back, we'll be hitting some other massive stories as well. Christian's gonna share with us in the final segment of the final hour. I'm Patrick Henningsen, stay there
0: de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
4: A very interesting study has come out. The top 1% of wage earners in the world produce 99% of the emissions of CO2. Now, if CO2 were bad, that'd be a big problem, but it's not bad. But it's very interesting the way they came up with that. The number one producer of CO2 with 1.3 billion people is China. So the Chinese have to be consuming more CO2 than let's say the United States and they do 5 to 10 times more. But that's interesting though. Is this study saying that the average wage in China is higher than the average wage in the United States? I seriously doubt that. And the answer is not with CO2. It has to do with the system, the system of capitalism and freedom, which of course is being taken apart in the United States and other areas in the West versus the Chinese system. Now we continue to see China thumbing its nose at the rest of the world as they have produced 137 coal plants in the last two years and continue to build them like mad. And yet they say, oh, well, we're going to be carbon neutral by 2050. By 2050? I thought the world's ending within 10 years. What good is carbon neutral by 2050? They're not going to be carbon neutral anytime in anyone's lifetime and likely in anyone's lifetime that has not been born yet. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got.
0: When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines, ready to serve. Healing, nurturing, rescuing, protecting, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. The Nonprofit Alliance. Patrick Henningson Talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back, folks, in the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for rejoining us and we'll hit the ground running once again with our research assistant for the show christian james joining us on the line right now from the midlands in the uk so christian uh what's next on the docket today there's a couple of things we want to get to but uh, i think there's yeah, sure. so, there's an interesting one that you mentioned about the trans-pacific partnership uh elucidate us a little bit on this well, yeah,
3: like, like I said, I, I found myself watching the UK Parliament channel, something I never thought I'd ever do, generally speaking, but I wanted to particularly take note of this particular uh, discussion. So it was the second reading. Um, so it's already been read once. They've already made some amendments to this. It's So the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, for those who don't remember, back in 2015, was uh, defeated, and it basically was the ability for... Uh, transnational corporations to basically tie themselves into business arrangements, um, cross-country, cross-government, and to make private um, sales happen um, effectively. So it got defeated and uh, it it raised major issues, certainly in terms of the the truth movement, shall we say. Um, So it's it's now back on the agenda. It has uh, a couple of uh, new letters added to it. It's now being called the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now, so what it effectively means is that we are now opening ourselves up to trade to the world. It allows more um, economic opportunities, they said, Um, particularly in regards to cattle, in regards to food, in regards to um, imports and exports and so on. So a few areas that were certainly a cause for concern was America really wants in on this in regards to um this situation so it's not although it's called trans-pacific it also includes america Um, so as you know in areas of america there is um a lack of ingredients that are on uh, most items you know because they they contain things like corn syrup and genetically modified um, foods and so on so they want to now bring that kind of process over here to have basically a greater amount of imports happening one of the sticking points came out from an mp in regards to this was the quality of um, food and animal welfare in other countries uh, is not very good so the uk sits itself in the top five countries that has a uh, high animal welfare and uh, they're saying that objectively we want to import stock from countries and they mentioned um uh, slovakia um, slovenia some areas of um, albania and so on who want to send this case is europe but also um, from china uh, from thailand So they import their cattle, their beef, chicken, pigs, uh, but they don't have the high levels of animal welfare, animal care in regards to also antibiotic resistance, um, antimicrobial, um, um, what they've had injected into them, their battery standards, Uh, they are much lower. But we want to have them here because it's cheaper Mm -hmm. (laughs) to have that stock because the way that they're kept. So that is a a difficult uh, situation for them to handle. So they want to create a minimum standard for imports, but that's where the objection lies in. Or well, the reason it to be cheaper is because they are of lower standards. It was and that was the argument that was getting battered under uh, across the across the aisle in Parliament. Also, food security is not to undercut our own production if we import cheaply from across the world. Uh, essentially, we would be essentially cutting the risks of those who produce in the UK. And certainly in regards to climate targets as well, and climate change was a particular issue about this they were saying effectively to bring um, chicken and poultry from uh, the Thailand and China, then surely why would you do that when you could already have it in the UK, far less climate costs and green costs? And they said, well, effectively, it is cheaper because they would have carbon credits. They would have green credits, uh, which would offset the cost of the import itself. <laughs> so it's it's really just circle jerking, as they say. Um, it's not very good. Um, and they're talking about the... <laughs> the indigenous welfare of those farms in the UK, what predictions and what um, protections they would have in regards to competition. And uh, the government's position was, well, actually this would open up more competitions. So they would have to be more lenient as businesses in order to compete against the lower quality imports um, from around the world, which are required for our economic growth.
1: Wow. So if, if you strip out the green, uh, the sustainable development, all that sort of stuff, uh, carbon credits and all of that, I mean, this just adds more complication to the whole picture. But when we strip all that out, uh, is there anything worth keeping in there? Or is there any benefit no. in there? I don't know. What do you think?
3: I don't think there is any benefit to this as such. I mean, it's okay to have trade agreements, but uh, effectively what you're doing is you're moving moving production away from the uk or stripping it down to a lesser degree because they can't compete with effectively lower quality um poor standard imports um so that will be a major difficulty um they're saying it's going to be a boost to the economy boost for growth um they're calling it the open few open food i can't even say the word now open food agriculture uh, where growth and competition um should be uh, there they also want to have zero tariffs so no import tax on the stock either. Um, so, this is likely to put a lot of um, farmers out of business in the UK who don't have to pay tax. <laughs> if you're importing, then there's going to be a massive kind of, uh, uh, I guess, an agreement could just brutalize uh, the UK farming industry here, um, and when we've talked in the past about their ability to take away farming here, taking away agriculture here you know paying farmers not to plant crops does it tie into that agreement where we want to essentially halve or 30% reduce um, our food production stock as were what the WEF want so I mean, does this tie into that i'm not sure but when i was listening to that i was like ah that would be an interesting gear to put into place
1: okay so overall food production yeah i can see how that game can be played that dot, that knob can be turned uh i think if you're If you're in a more wealthy economy uh, with a higher standard of living and a more valuable currency, I say opening the markets to uh, you know uh, import tariff-free goods from cheaper markets from places where they have a massive advantage in terms of wage differential, overhead differential, energy costs, and so forth, um, that's definitely going to hurt the domestic market uh, for, let's say, the United States or Britain. Or Western Europe. So that, that's just basically, what is this, supercharging globalization again? Is that is that I what it really so. is?
3: Yeah, I think the idea of, you know, ramping up imports, uh, taking away our ability to be um, self-sustainable in, in the UK. And I, I certainly would think that this might well be happening in other countries that are suddenly affluent or in, uh, certainly in position that, similar to the UK, like Australia, New Zealand, and so on. Because um, of course, this is the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. This is the comprehensive um, and progressive agreement which i when the word progressive is in there you never really know it's progressive and it just certainly is a uh, detrimental to those people in those countries because i think a big tank and big um agriculture wants in that they'll try and make it as cheap as possible to just to flood the market
1: the other problem here christian is this it could incentivize bad behavior uh, for the West, because then, we, you know, Europe is notorious for its subsidies on just about everything, right? And so the US, Canada, some of these countries, they could subsidize stuff, crazy subsidies, uh, in, or- in order to lower the price, to make it maybe more competitive internationally. Why? To Because what you can do if you have the power and the leverage, this can go both ways, you can wipe out markets. You can wipe out industries, like you can subsidize for a period of the Chinese could do this as well if they wanted, but you could subsidize as some kind of an import line for a period of time enough to just eviscerate the domestic, whatever the the market is where you're importing it, you know, they could just destroy it, then come in and like buy that buy that industry for like pennies on the dollar i mean so there's a lot of ways that you can play this game um once all the restrictions are removed so it really becomes a corporate battlefield at that point christian but if it's done with state direction um it's just another sort of layer of economic warfare or transnational corporate hegemony takeovers and so forth i mean it's a you know so the things that's keeping this from happening are the fact that there are countries there are regulate uh, regulatory schemes and and frameworks and stuff like that i know it's not perfect it's not perfect and some things need to be subsidized some don't for periods of time but when you sort of put all the barriers down this just becomes law of the jungle at that point i just i I don't think we can calculate like where things are going to end up at that point that's that's my concern. I don't know if that's the concern of the people objecting to this though, Christian or what what are people flagging in terms of concerns? What are some of the more common uh, you know retorts, if you will, pushbacks against the uh, the T TIP and the TPP. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, so the, the um, in in Parliament the the back and forth really was around um, the uh, my, so antimicrobial DNA modification of these animals that are going to be coming in. There was a, certainly a regards to what vaccinations they've had, what, um, how have they been treated, and basically the RSPCA, they targeted them with producing a report, which they spoke about, um, to make sure sh- where we stand in terms of the world standing of health of, of animals and how we look after them. And uh, the other countries simply don't have that. And uh, how can we ensure that those countries are going to have those standards in place if we start to import. So really it was a case of and the arguments really were there isn't any there, there is no standards. So we, we can't leverage those countries to make it better for them for those imports. And uh, it was kind of just left in the air as that is that is the issue. There was um, some particular nudge as Dr. Liam Fox, uh, who helped um, shape the agreement, he says the UK is now in a weaker situation because we're not, we can't discuss with the EU, and uh, we are essentially they are an adversarial market. He he used that phrase, and um, what they want to now do is to open it up. Beyond Europe, so to have imports come from obviously beyond the European border. To have um, again, they mentioned mentioned China, they mentioned Taiwan, they mentioned India as a staple markets. What we need to be imported from, as a, as a standard fare to make the UK economy stronger. But you could see it on the face of everyone; no one really was kind of uh, believing this is a good thing to have. But this is certainly the globalist plan, and or to keep this nudge going, and they'll just keep renaming it until they eventually get it passed, and then they'll get their position in in play
1: it also gives uh but by, by the way it gives people um like for instance you know like hollywood the music industry and things like that mm-hmm. and they're using i remember on the trans-pacific partnership one of the big pushbacks was that they wanted the power if somebody downloaded something or watched something without paying or copyright free or, tor- or use BitTorrent or was caught they wanted the power to go and shut down their internet access via their local ISP I'm not kidding I don't know if you heard it I did hear that yes you remember that I mean that's just like, I do. that's the sort of stuff on the back end of this you know in terms of giving those corporations the the sort of you know unlimited power they have armies of lawyers drafting out you know legal positions on all this stuff and that's one of the big turnoffs that that's actually one of the things that got it kaboshed in uh, Australia actually um that was an important hub of the TPP by the way was Australia they were road testing all of this uh as they as they do often in Australia and that was one of the things that raised people's uh you know concerns if you will uh, Christian so that again these are all things on the back end that a lot of people don't think about
3: um yeah yeah it, it's it's in the subtext, is not it you know it's in the uh you know subsection to you know paragraph nine, and on that very note there what you were saying about um there was a situation where if a, if a company didn't make its expected profits from a situation they could essentially sue the government to make up that profit loss yep um and I, I can, that was that was a big part of that indeed
1: oh that's that's just uh <laughs> that, that's going to cause all sorts of problems uh that, that right there it's things like that so again what is that what is that really what is, that falls under the heading of like corporate power like cor- corporations and Lloyd, the lawyers are in charge at that point, right? Is that the that's yeah for sure. The corporate lawyers are in charge. So I mean, y- y- some of these corporations. I mean, look at look at some of these corporations, Christian. They're bigger than countries. They, they are the GDPs. I mean, it's like Amazon's GDP is bigger than I don't know about 150 countries or something like that. It's insane. It is crazy, isn't it? So yeah, that's the I mean, kind of things that you, uh, that's kind of abuse that could could run rampant. Could run rampant.
3: Indeed, indeed. So I can see we're coming on to the close of the hour. So let me just throw this out to make people smile a bit, but it is a bit worrying nonetheless. So Sadiq Khan found himself in the press this week. So um, there was a post, a video um, last week that went viral uh, where he gave an address regarding what was going on in uh, Israel, Gaza. Um, But of course, that, that wasn't real. That was an audio created file using AI. Now he basically sent the police round to find to investigate the person who'd made this deep fake voice of his uh, that went viral as a true thing. And they says there's no laws that actually stop them from doing so. And of course they are now being drafted up to make that happen. But as such you can still make deep fakes to your heart's contempt.
1: Oh wow, City Con victim of a deep fake. Wow. Do we have to run to his defense? I don't know. Depends what uh, they deep faked, which what what they made him say. We'll, we'll go and check that out on social media, actually. But Christian James, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate uh, what you brought us today this week.
3: Yeah. Thank you very much, Patrick, as always.
1: There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Christian James, a research assistant for the show. Great segment, as always. And Basil Valentine in the first hour, a trusted analyst been a great program today. You've been a great audience at TNT. Today's News Talk, I'm Patrick Henderson, your host. That's all we got time for.